Amen. What a powerful song. Just preached the sermon right there, man. Thank you guys so much for leading us to the throne this morning in worship to praise the God of all creation whose glory we have gathered here today. We are all made to express that glory, and that is why uh, we are not only in this place at this time, but on this planet. Thank you for that reminder, Trey and, and Maddie and Lily. Appreciate you guys. Today's going to be our last day to finish up our series on fellowship because next week you're going to hear from our two mission teams that we sent out this summer to Guatemala and Dominica. Don't say Dominica, it's Dominica. It's a tiny island nation. I hear that Trevor put together a video. I can't wait to see it. Rob said it was awesome. I can't wait uh, next week. You're going to see some pictures, some videos, and hear testimonies, but then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. You're going to hear about what the body of Christ is doing around the world, how the blood of Christ is affecting those in other countries, and then we're going to celebrate the body and blood right here in communion at the Lord's table uh, together. It'll be a beautiful day of worship next week. Don't miss it. But today we're going to finish up fellowship, and this whole series on, you know, these five purposes of the church, I feel like we're just barely scratching the surface, right? There's so much in Scripture about worship, about evangelism, about discipleship, about fellowship, and about ministry that we really can't cover it in a month, right? We're trying in four weeks to, to divulge all the truth of Scripture about fellowship. That's impossible. But my prayer is that over these five months that we as a church begin to get a picture of what the church is meant to be and do according to the New Testament. The New Testament is clear that we have been given these five essential purposes that we are to be about. And if we are going to be the kind of church that God wants us to be here on this corner as Woodmont Baptist Church, then we've got to take these five purposes seriously, all to be done by God's grace and for his glory. So to close our series, we're going to be in the letter to the Romans this morning. So let's stand in honor of God's word if you're able to as I read our text for today. Romans 15, verses 1 through 7. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. I don't know about you, but I, I can't believe how fast the summer has flown by, I feel like. My kids don't, sorry teenagers and, and students out there, but two weeks left of summer, two weeks from Tuesday, Metro's back in school. Sorry, Hamza, are you upset? Are you okay? You ready to go back? Uh, I know, you're crying, I see it, he is. 
Two weeks left of summer, and you know, the first day of school here, two weeks from Tuesday, we're going to do what we always do on the first day of school. Morgan's going to get our kids looking adorable, of course, and put them out in the, in the backyard in front of the rose bush and, and give them a chalkboard that says first day of school on it, and she's going to take their picture to commemorate the first day of first grade and third grade for, for Jude and May. And it may have been a while for some of you since you had a first day of school, but do you remember what it felt like on the first day of school? I was always super nervous, especially in high school on the first day of, of school, especially about what the most important thing was, right, about the first day of school, who you were going to sit with at lunch, right? Very important, very important, because I don't know why, but it always seemed like whoever you sat with at lunch on the first day of school was who you ended up sitting with for the rest of the year, right? You were stuck with them, so you better hope that you had some good friends in that lunch period. And when I went to Franklin High School, like Landon and some of you guys out here, when I went to Franklin, I was, I was coming from Freedom Middle School, and all my friends were going to Centennial, and I was joining all these Grassland kids over at Franklin, so I didn't know a lot of them, and I was super nervous about who I was gonna sit with my freshman year of high school at lunch. You know, there may be some of you right now who are experiencing a bit of anxiety as you think about freshman year of high school and these memories of social anxiety are coming back. I'm sorry. But as Christians, as church members, when we talk about fellowship as one of the key purposes of the church, the Bible makes it clear that our table that we set here at Woodmont Baptist Church, at any church, must be one of welcome. When our brothers and sisters look for a place to sit at our table, we must, as Christians, flag them down, get their attention, warmly wave them over to come and join us at our table. We must make room sometimes. I love how the teenagers on Wednesday night always sit at one table, no matter how many of them there are. They may cram around, you know, 20, 25 kids around you know, two tables, but they push them together. They can't bear the idea of, of being apart. That is fellowship. That is welcoming one another. James chapter 2 talks about favoring one kind of people and, and shunning another kind of people according to the outward appearance. That's the sin of being partial to someone based on their exterior. In verse 8 of chapter 2 in James he writes, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin, and you are convicted by the law as transgressors. You know, the word that's used here for partiality in the New Testament is, it, it really means to judge according to the face. To, to judge according to the outward exterior uh, appearance and factor. You know, our culture is one in which we are constantly judged based on our outward appearance. The clothes you wear, the car you drive, the house you live in, so on and so forth. And, you know, advertising is a multi-billion dollar industry that just perpetuates this culture of outward appearances. And people tend to believe the lies of ads that actually convince them that if they will purchase this or that product, then that will enhance the way that they are perceived by the world around them. But God doesn't look at people that way. 
and neither should we. Romans chapter 2, verse 11, earlier in this letter, Paul says, for God shows no partiality. God doesn't judge according to the face, according to the outward appearance, because he knows that stuff doesn't define us. 1 Samuel 16, 7, one of my favorite verses, says, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Our outward appearance doesn't give us real value or, or worth. Our value, our worth as humans is innate inside of us because we are made, all of us, in the image of the high and holy triune God. When the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Rome that we just read from a minute ago, he tells them that they have to learn to look past all that exterior stuff if they're going to experience fellowship, koinonia fellowship. He tells them they must welcome each other as family now. You know, Romans is, is an incredible book. It changes lives. You know, St. Augustine, Aquinas, others, they, they became converted after hearing the gospel preached in the letter to the Romans. It's this incredibly theologically rich letter. And it was written when the Apostle Paul was nearing the end of his ministry. He had already traveled the world proclaiming the gospel, planting churches. And so when he writes this letter, it's a culmination of all of Paul's understanding of both the old and new covenants. He's, he's explaining the gospel according to the ultimate plan of God to bring this fallen world back to himself. And, and Paul is divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit to lay out this letter in this beautifully organized fashion. So let me just give you a brief overview of Romans for our text for today. He starts out the letter in chapter 1 by giving us the theme of the letter. It'll be on the screen here. Verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The whole theme of the letter is about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to explain the heart of the gospel, how even in our broken, human, flawed state, we can be made right with the high and holy God by our faith in Jesus Christ and his ability to make us right with God. And then in chapter 5, Paul launches into this incredible assurance that is ours now because of our hope in Jesus Christ, that we have an eternal hope of salvation. And that means there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And then Paul brings it all together alongside the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, chapters 9, 10, and 11, as he explains how the gospel is a fulfillment. The New Covenant comes alongside of the Old Covenant to complete it, not to replace it. And then he starts out the last few chapters with some practical implications of the transforming power of the gospel. How then shall we live? He answers that starting in chapter 12. Verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Not being conformed, but being transformed by the gospel. Complete, total transformation is the result of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Everything changes now. We don't act like we used to act. We don't act like the rest of the world acts when it comes to how we treat others around us, as Paul goes on to explain in the rest of chapter 12. And then in chapter 13, Paul says that because of the transforming power of the gospel, it changes how we relate to government, even, as was quoted by our attorney general here a few weeks ago. And then to close the letter, Paul writes about how the gospel changes how we treat each other in the body of Christ, the church. It's a clear call to unity, to to koinonia fellowship in the church. And he starts out in chapter 14 by reminding us that we should not condemn each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And then he goes on to say that we must be careful not to cause any brother or sister to stumble in their walk with the Lord Jesus. And now here in chapter 15, he starts out by saying we should put each other first. Look at verse one and two again. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. That's what the church should look like. People who are stronger in their faith who, who are, are further along maybe in their journey of discipleship, building up those who need it more, those who are weaker in their faith. You know, Paul talks a lot about building up our brothers and sisters in the faith. This fallen world tears us down every day, right? Man, this, this sinful, sin-sick world eats away at our souls. Work can be unfulfilling. It can be hard. Relationships can be so messy and strained and broken with family and friends. You know, we are beaten down by this world, but church should be a place where we are edified and encouraged and built up. This happens best, of course, when we look to please others and not ourselves. Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Man, that's hard, isn't it? It's really hard. How can we put others' interests ahead of our own? How can I neglect my own pleasure for the pleasure of others? Well, if only there was some good example for us to look to of this. Oh, I know. Look at verse 3. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Paul references the Psalms talking about the Messiah who suffered reproach instead of doing whatever he wanted to. You know, the the life of Christ was marked by this amazing kind of sacrificial, selfless service to, to God and to others. Mark 10, verse 45 says, 
For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When we think about Jesus, who of all people deserved to do whatever he wanted to do for his own pleasure, when we think about how he constantly put others' needs ahead of his own, how he thought about others' best interests, how he loved sacrificially, then we begin to see the perfect model that we are to follow as Christians. When we think about the gospel of Jesus, we realize that we have no right to shun anyone, to be unwelcoming to anyone because we ourselves have been welcomed by Christ into God's family when we least deserved it. Romans 5, 8 reminds us of this fact. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Who are we to shun anyone now when we who were unlovable have been shown the ultimate love? You know, there's a a great Swiss theologian named Frederick Godet. He wrote a commentary on Romans, and he says about this verse, mutual love ought to reign supremely in a church wholly composed of the Lord's well-beloved. If we have been loved well by God, and we have, then we should have a mutual love for one another that radiates throughout this place. Okay, you may again say, but that was Jesus. How am I supposed to live like that? How am I supposed to love sacrificially? Well, we're not talking about behavior modification, right? We're we're talking about being transformed by the gospel and by the glory of God. Paul isn't saying here, he's not telling believers to get their act together and try harder and pull themselves up by their bootstraps to to try to manifest these, these qualities of selfless love, of unity. He's telling them to look to the God who gives these qualities to us and then rejoice in him. We see God clearly where in the Bible, his written revelation to us. Look at verse four. For whatever was written in former days, the Old Testament, was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. All of God's word, right? Old Testament and New Testament, all of it shows us the endurance and the encouragement that come from knowing God and his good plans for us and for all of creation. We see the truth in the Bible that God has not abandoned this world to sin and to death and to decay, but that he is making all things new. That gives us hope. That gives us hope that is powerful and lasting. That gives us hope that enables us to face cancer, to to face marital or or financial strife, to, to face whatever uncertainty that we may be caught up in, we can endure it because we know that God wins in the end. You may have wondered this this month as we talk about fellowship, what this has to do with fellowship or why fellowship is so important. How does it make the top five purposes of the church? What's the big deal about getting along as one body? Why does the Bible talk so much about mutual edification and building one another up and, and unity in the church? Well, we know that koinonia, fellowship, 
results ultimately in God's glory and the furthering of his kingdom on earth. Look at verse five again. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's so we can glorify God better. Did you catch these terms too? Live in harmony. Make one pleasing, unified sound to the glory of God. What does that remind you of? Sounds like choir to me. Is that what you're thinking? Sounds like choir. Have you ever been a part of a choir? It's kind of an amazing thing to add your voice to another group of voices in order to produce one sound. It's an amazing thing. I've gotten the opportunity to sing in a bunch of choirs over my life, especially when I was younger. And when I was a senior at, at Franklin, I, I joined the, the chorus. Me and some buddies joined the Franklin High Chorus, and that was a blast. We had some amazing singers and talented musicians in that group. But I think our director, it was a, an a old hippie. His name was Moose. I don't know if he's still there. Moose, do you remember Moose? He, uh, he may have bitten off more than we could chew one year because he, he had us sing uh, for the Christmas concert uh, from Handel's Messiah and the Glory of the Lord. You know that song? It's incredibly complicated. There are eight vocal parts running throughout the, the piece at all different times, and it's an incredibly difficult piece for anyone, much less a group of high schoolers with one year of experience in choir. So we, we, we powered through it in rehearsals okay, but when it came to the concert, we had a complete train wreck. <laughs> it just fell apart completely. No one knew where we were in the song. We all had lost our part by, by the, you know, the middle of the song. And it's not a real long piece, but we just were completely lost. And our director just cut us off and looked at us like, really? Really? This is what you're going to do? And I think we kind of laughed about the time, but man, most of us were pretty proud about, you know, being musically competent. And so we wanted another crack at it. And our director was like, okay, we'll try this again. And he wound up the music again, and we, we tried it again. And the second time, we nailed it. Just nailed it. Start to finish, everybody knew their part and sang it beautifully. And at the end of the song, it's got all these parts doing all these different things, and then it just cuts off. And then there's like these last three notes that are like just ba 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 ba, you know, just real, I guess that's four notes. Um, they're really just big and together and unified. And when we hit those four notes at the end, it was just beautiful. The harmonies were tight. It was one sound, one voice, glorifying God. That's a, a song of worship about the coming of Christ to earth. It's a beautiful thing when we make harmony together and one sound. I think that's how it feels when we experience harmony in the church. When we are living together in the kind of way where we are bringing our unique voice to what we're doing here at Woodmont in such a way that complements the other voices here. And I know that it brings glory to God when we live with that kind of unity where we're all on the same page, when we offer up our individual lives as one body of Christ. There's lots of high school references today, huh? Remember that feeling in the cafeteria on the first day? Look, look at verse seven. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you 
for the glory of God. You know, the word that's translated here as welcome doesn't just mean like, oh, hey, like, come over here. It really means something more like receive. But, you know, when we hand Isaiah, our two-year-old, a healthy item of food, you know, uh, an apple or some, some applesauce or, you know, a banana or something, his, his new go-to phrase is, I don't like it. <laughs> he's two, and he's, his really longest sentence that he knows is, I don't like it. <laughs> he says it all the time, doesn't he? I don't like it. The goal is for him to receive that food, for him to take it, for him to grasp it in his hands gratefully and joyfully and to say, thank you, Dad, and to be excited about that banana and to eat it, right? That is how we are to receive one another. Gratefully, joyfully, not shunning each other like a piece of spinach, right? <laughs> but to accept joyfully and gratefully a brother or sister into your family. Welcoming others is not about tolerating them. It's not about recognizing them. It's about receiving them, holding them with joy and gratitude. I met a lady who was visiting our church this past Wednesday, and she, she'd been visiting for a couple of, of Wednesdays, and, and she is in a, a situation where she's got a great new job here in Nashville, but her family's still in another state, and it's a tough situation, and she misses her family, and she, she was telling me all this just kind of openly, and she said, you know, I just needed to be among my people. I just needed to be among my people. So I came to church tonight because I knew I'd find my people here. Because the same body of Christ that she was a part of in another state is the same body of Christ that we have here. And we need to be among our people. I hope you feel that need today. I believe that Woodmont is a friendly church. That's great, but that's not the goal here. I believe that we have a lot of nice people. That's, that's awesome, but I really don't care about you being nice either. The goal of all of this, welcoming, receiving, accepting others, is to add their voice to our harmony that we are creating here as we give glory to God together. This means that we exalt the greatness of our God, the beauty of his perfection, the awesome power of his might, the unfailing nature of his faithfulness and his amazing grace together as one body. Let's be the kind of church that welcomes everyone so that the world will know these things about our great God. Let's pray together. Lord God, who are we that you would call us sons and daughters, that you would welcome us, receive us into your family. When we were unlovable, you showed us the ultimate love. You laid down your life. You did not spare your son. But when we were far from you, when we were in open rebellion against you, you welcomed us with open arms the story of the, the, the prodigal God, the, the story of the two sons tells us that you run down the road to meet us, arms wide open. 
when we have been living in the far country, you still run to meet us. God, may, may the gospel of your love inform the way that we welcome others. May we not shun anyone, but openly, gratefully, joyfully receive our brothers and sisters in Christ because you have received us. May we not judge according to the face or any outward appearance, but may we see like you see, going straight to the heart to see the image of God in others, in every human being whom we interact with, young, old, regardless of race or gender, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, we would see brothers and sisters in Christ as part of the same family. God, we thank you for this church. We thank you for the unity, for the koinonia that we experience here on a weekly basis. We pray, oh God, that you would knit us closer together as one family. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Maybe you're here today, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You, you've never taken the free gift of salvation that God offers to us through Jesus Christ, his son. If that's you, I'd love to talk with you about becoming a Christian right here today in our time of invitation. Maybe you, you've kind of done life on your own and, and you've decided that you need a community. You need to be among your people. Maybe you're a Christian, but you're trying to do it on your own. You realize this is a team sport, and you got to have people to help you, to run alongside you. If that's you and you want to talk about Woodmont Baptist Church as a member, I'd love to talk to you about that as well. Maybe you just want to come to the altar and pray this morning. Maybe you need physical healing. Maybe you need emotional healing. Maybe there's something that you just want to pray about because you're burdened for your child or for your parent or whatever it is, and you just want to offer that to the Lord in prayer this morning. I invite you to come to the altar and pray. I'm going to ask Trey if you'll come stand here uh, during our time of invitation. I'm going to ask Jane if she'll come stand here as well. I'm going to ask Brad if he'll come stand here during our invitation time. If you want to pray with one of these people, they'll be here at the altar. If you want to pray for your, your marriage, your, your parents, whatever it may be, uh, during this time, I invite you to come and pray. We're going to sing, Come Just As You Are, as a beloved child of God. Let's stand and sing.